Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your word and we're grateful for the, the joy it is to be looking at it. We would ask that our hearts would be seeking it. In your son's name, amen. Hey, what? I speak in tongues, so I understand whose tongue that is. You know. We're in Luke, Gospel of, chapter 3. I was sitting in a kind of a daze in the library this morning early, going, oh, what am I thinking about? And the thought came to me that as I was looking at the word then, I was in, just had my Bible open to Luke somewhere a little bit later. I was just sort of scrolling through the pages, and I have my chart of what I preached on recently. And there's some powerful passages like this of John's ministry. But what I've done, there's a bunch of this text cut out. You can see the ellipses down the page, because through the course of Luke 3 and 4, John comes on the scene, announces the coming of the Christ, then the Christ makes his entry. He announces his ministry at Nazareth, Nazareth, and uh, in that, um, uh, creates a circumstance, a scene, a difficulty. He starts to do a few miracles, teaches in Capernaum. And as I looked at this section, I, I was thinking along a different line than merely what did John say about the Christ, what does he have coming in Christ. But I wanted to think about our own ministry to unbelievers and our, as the ministry has come to us. So, certain things that I think we get waylaid. I've been thinking a lot about slight shifts in thought. Uh, the illustration I use is from Lewis's remark, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's a very slight but telling shift. Too often we just accept what the church has done in reaching the lost, uh, becoming scholastic in our faith, becoming understanding individuals, teachers of the law. But I want to sort of try to get to a point by going through this, and I'll, I'll kind of let you know what that is, hopefully by the time we're done. This is John the Baptist speaking. He said, therefore, to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. <laughs> How to win friends and influence people. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits that befit repentance. So do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. John seems to believe that good fruit, not belonging to something, not belonging to what you belonged to before, being a Jew, being interested, going to church, as he says, belonging can be made out of Legos. You can 
You can make all the things that man values out of available products from Safeway. You can make, and people have made, every achievement that man has ever wanted by just a little effort, some venture capital. We can all do it. We can all just go make the life that they think is valuable. What God thinks is valuable is a little different. But sometimes the person who's thinking about Christianity is thinking about whether or not God is going to join their life a certain way. Is he going to prove himself to me? Have you ever thought that yourself, even? You know, why can't God, why can't you prove yourself to me? Make faith easy for me. God's looking for something. God is there to be found. But part of this dance is not him showing you irresistibly what is convincing to you. He asked them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Do you understand repentance? Do you understand what that's about? That this whole path to God is not some religion thing we're trying to become a part of, but is a path of repentance from dead works for the forgiveness of God, and there is an expectation. That comes up a little bit later. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The multitudes asked him, then what shall we do? And he answered them, and he has a list of very simple ethical responses. He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. You know, be responsive to your neighbor, to your fellow person on this planet. Uh, don't be so possessive. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than is appointed to you. And soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Rob no one by violence or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Basic good, yeah, yeah, we like that. Now, that is a test for the hearers, the regular people, the multitudes, the uh, tax collectors, the soldiers. The kind of thing that is thrown out there that says, this is what this is about. You need to be better. The problem with God, man and God is man has sinned against what God wants. And so the problem now becomes, what do I do about my future life? And what do I do about my past life? What do I do about my guilt? I have objective guilt for what I did. And what do I do to be pleasing to God in future? You bear fruit that befits repentance. You turn away from the dead works. You turn toward God. as the people were in expectation. Now, these are people that all came out, and he called them vipers. They got to listen to John. He's a popular, there's kind of a buzz. He's a viral prophet, I guess. Somebody that everybody wanted to go see. All the worst types of people, too. Some of the good types, sometimes the Pharisees would go out to see him, sometimes the soldiers, sometimes the tax collectors. As the people were at expectation, and all men questioned in their hearts concerning John, whether perhaps he were the Christ. 
is this the guy? Because they were this, the Jesus thing, the Jesus Christ thing, was not news to the religious foment of history. This was something expected by the Jews for centuries. And so this guy shows up going, brood of vipers this, brood of vipers that, and you go, hey, he sounds pretty religious to me. He sounds pretty much like a prophet. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You get the impression, I mean, now you say, well, that's just what prophets can be that way. John is just being John. But he already told you that every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And then he also says, the Christ is going to winnow the wheat from the chaff. You know what? We're in wheat country, right? We have combines that do this for us. But the good old days, back when you had to work for a living, you would, you know, trot horses or cattle on top of your all your wheat, and it would break away the chaff from the kernels, and then you'd take a pitchfork because you pitched with it, and you pitched the uh, on a slightly breezy day, you pitched the everything up into the air, and the chaff, which is lighter, blows away and the grain falls back down. That's how you separate the good from the bad. I know we have circumstances, I've watched my wife pick out rocks from the uh, pinto beans, you get pinto beans at the store. That actually comes with rocks for your benefit. And they're little tiny rocks, look a lot like beans, and you've got to go through it, unless somebody later on in the consumption of a burrito find the rock. It's not a prize. You wish you could just toss the beans in the air in the kitchen and the rocks would blow away. But I don't think it works that way. But he's claiming that Jesus Christ is here to separate. And we as Christians, when we're ministering to non-believers, we have to know, like John is talking to them and like Christ talked to them, saying when Christ steps into this mix, it's going to separate the hearers somehow. Sheep goats, wheat chaff, fruitful tree, unfruitful tree. We sometimes, because we're so desperate for converts, we want to make everything as easy as possible. And so when they stamp their little foot in a petulant way, the non-believer, and says, you have to prove to me that the Bible is the word of God. Off we run to get a book by F.F. Bruce or by whomever so we can prove to them that the Bible is the word of God. Now, I've been in apologetics and philosophy long enough to know that the arguments for the faith are really good arguments. By the time you get them, you know, you come back, you know, you're like an action hero. You've got all the guns strapped to your thighs and hand grenades, and you're ready to show this unbeliever what, what, that they don't believe illegitimately. Sometimes it's apologetic, and sometimes it's just, you've heard of presuppositionalism? Anybody? I see that hand. One, two, three. <coughs> Presuppositionalism is a, is a philosophy of apologetics that believes that there's a necessity in, in philosophy of to presuppose something. 
to, to claim something as your beginning point, without which you're not going to go on. And usually the Christian presuppositionalists claim that the God of the Bible is true. They're not out there to prove the God of the Bible is true. They're going to claim that the God of the Bible is true. Interesting philosophic approach. Van Til was into that. Greg Bonson, other famous presuppositionalist names. I can see the looks of recognition. Blank. This is what Christians do in their free time. Okay, they they go off and do these things. Now, I think those some of those arguments are interesting and maybe even beneficial at times. But you probably know the difference when you come back with an answer. You're talking to some non-believer, and they go, you know, what I really don't understand is, uh, uh," and you come back with, this is the history of the canon of Scripture. And they go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize. It's like they get swept more into the current, and they're drawn closer to God by the answer you get. And other times, they just bring up another objection. Because they didn't want the answer you brought them. They didn't want the answer that was coming. God is separating. He is separating on his terms that he desires your repentance. And he's not here to make sure that he passes your test. We might be in expectation. We think sometimes because we're in expectation, we get to have the list of which God we would like to receive. Thank you very much. You get a lot of that. With liberals, they, they have a notion of, uh, well, I don't think God should be like that. <laughs> you don't think God should be like that? Well, if God is like that, tough beans. Now, conservatives do it, otherwise they'd say, God is this way, and sometimes they're wrong. They're more confident about it. People can be an expectation. People go out looking to John. He wonders who warned them to flee. Do we expect to be winnowed? And what are we looking at in ourselves that winnows us, that sets us apart? Recently, I've been in a number of conversations with people not of this church, but others who have come to us for counsel, where you're talking to them about, this is about your walk with the Lord. This is not about what church A believes or church B believes. You are not a child of the church. You are a child of God. And what's that looking like for you? Have you pursued repentance? Have you expressed the humility of a sinful soul that is about a holy God? Have you found the grace of Jesus Christ? Have you passed from death to life? And do you know what that feels like? Are you growing in grace because you have pursued the grace of God and knowledge of God? Or are you waiting for either the church nor the individual Christian that you know that's trying to be helpful to you to give you adequate answers? Finally tell you the right trick to use to live your Christian life more victoriously. It may be subtle. It might just be where you're waiting without a word, without saying anything, or even knowing you're thinking it. You're waiting for your church to offer the seminar on how to live the victorious Christian life. Well, what are you doing with your free time now? What, I have a lot of things, I imagine, but just sort of waiting for the church to pony up with Victorious Christian Living 101, or, or um, this is the deeper walk, or this is how you can always believe that the Bible is true, this little trick of, 
of faith, this little trick of apologetics. So that's set, the John situation sets up, hey, the Christ is coming, he's going to win out. And even people that are standing in line waiting to hear aren't hearing rightly. They get called brood of vipers. They get told, you better do this. Those that are pursuing God seem to be pursuing God. Someone can come to church here, not know much about Christianity, might hear some things that they don't like from God. Let's just assume I was right that Sunday. Okay? I was saying true things. It could offend them a lot of different ways. I've offended people a lot. It's a gift in the church to cause bitterness. I have offended a lot of people, and they might... Well, I, I don't want to hear any more of this kind of religion. That's not the good kind of religion. We have to know whether or not the person as, that seeks God is seeking a being much higher than themselves. And as you seek a being much higher than yourself, your knees start to bend. Picture it like you're being introduced to someone at Buckingham Palace. I've been there outside the gate, pressing my nose against the royal crest. But that's as close as I got to majesty. It's a beautiful building, but it seems like a lot of rooms. So you would come in, probably the, the guest lobby gift shop, and you'd meet maybe a gentleman. And you go, oh, he's much better than I. Could you introduce me to somebody more powerful than you? Oh, he says, there's a Viscount down the hall. I'll, I will go, let's go visit the Viscount and the Viscountess. And the Viscount the Viscountess, oh, hello, sir. And, they, and, and there's a, you say, I'm just an Idaho hick. Who am I? These are Viscounts. Oh, we'll introduce you to a uh, Marchioness or uh, whatever comes above that, a Duke. Oh, you're getting a little above, you're getting a little, a little fluttery in the heart. You know, in this place, on this pursuit, it is not meeting new friends. As much as they could do for you, it's not you meeting new friends. You're finding people better than you, higher than you, more important than you. And you may turn the corner one day and fall to your knees because Her Majesty Elizabeth II may be standing there. But that's what you do when Elizabeth II. You say, well, I'm an American. This is Sparta. And, you know, you're always being all independent about things. But if you're looking for a queen, if you're looking for a king, if you're looking for a god, you should have figured out that this is a path of humility where your knees bend, get bendier more and more. John warns them that the danger of meeting something high and lifted up has its cost. It's going to judge. It's going to winnow. It's going to cut down. Now I left out the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. I think I did. Yes. We're into chapter 4 here, 421. Because John's arrested, Jesus is baptized, that's a little out of order. He goes off and Jesus is tempted. 
And then in Luke 4.16, I have it here on the side, he announces his ministry. John has announced him, has told the reader, this is coming. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up and went to the synagogue, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What a moment. Central in history, like the death. Christ announcing his ministry with this great quote from Isaiah. And then he says, verse 21, back on the right-hand side, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. My heavens, what a conceit. Isaiah the prophet back in 700 B.C., 700 years from this, was saying something, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord, and then this young guy from this town says, I'm the fulfillment. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is not this Joseph's son? An awful lot of things can be said in churchy sort of ways or Christian sort of ways where nobody minds the graciousness of the speech. You could go to an Episcopal church in New York City and hear them all recite the Apostles' Creed, which is wonderful, or the Lord's Prayer, which is wonderful. All these voices in this cathedral, say it's St. Patrick's or something like that, the Our Father. People can say gracious things. You read the passage of scripture, oh my goodness. This day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they're wondering about it. So he pushes a little harder on them. He said to them, doubtless you will have quoted me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here also in your own country. Now they didn't say that. He tells them that they would say that. In case they were too polite to start the fight, Jesus is starting the fight for them. It's like saying, and you were about to say that my mother was fat and ugly. What did you say about my mother? And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. But this was totally unnecessary, Jesus. Totally unnecessary. 
But he's getting to the point that John had gotten to before. Don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, because I can make descendants of Abraham out of Legos. Because that is just the circumstance. But Jesus is throwing this hand grenade into the middle of Jews. It's like being at a mosque and saying, just a second, grab a Koran and throw it against the wall. That's what he was about. And this is a mighty Middle Eastern response here. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, which a minute ago, all spoke well of him, wondering at the gracious words. Because Jesus has driven into the situation and said, you know, this is not about convincing you as to whether or not Christianity is good enough for you. This is about me deciding whether you're good enough for Christianity. Not in the works righteousness, have you done enough good deeds? Have you sought him? Has, has, as you have walked down the halls of your life further into time and the circumstances of it, do you realize you're walking closer and closer to the living God and you'd better be ready to bow? The Chinese call it the kowtow. The nine obeisances and the twelve prostrations. Because you're searching for a God. Jesus Christ wants to bring them up short. Do not think that, that you can position yourself in this discussion in a better place. You're just a man. Yeah, God loves you. Yes, you're in the image of God. Sure, you're a child of Abraham. But those are all big whoop situations because God is winnowing. God is waiting for the tree to bear some fruit. God is looking at the repentance. God is wondering whether the knee bent. And here he found the people that were really, what a great moment. Just think of it. It's probably a you know, synagogue looked a lot like this, probably. Gets up there, reads the scroll of Isaiah. He probably had a really good voice, God and all. Read the passage, sat down, poignant moment, paused for effect, camera scans over the audience, listening Jews. And he says, this day this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's pretty big. But there's still the winnowing to be done. They were filled with wrath. This was a completely unnecessary topic for him to bring up. That the Gentiles would be looking forward to this, and yeah, not only the Gentiles would be looking forward to it, but God has always kind of opted to give good things to the Gentiles, even though there were lepers in Israel. Even though there are people starving in the famine in Israel, God gave it to this woman of Sidon. They're not just upset. Verse 29, And they rose up and put him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built. This is not playing king of the hill. That they might throw him down headlong. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. I've played king of the hill. Have you played king of the hill? 
serious king of the hill. Lost repeatedly. I was good at falling down hills. But it was kind of fun once you got rolling. You know, somebody threw you and then you hit the ground and you start to roll and you roll all the way to the bottom and you laugh and you laugh and you charge up the hill again and they throw you down the hill again. This is the edge of a cliff. They're really ticked. He just said that they could not claim, like John had said, that you have Abraham as your father. That doesn't give you any standing. You don't want to walk around that corner, run into the queen and say, yeah, well, I, I'm Jim Wilson's son. And who are you, lady? I'm just Jim Wilson's son. She's the queen of England. This is God how you're approaching him. And you want to be able to do that when you're ministering. Because I'm not talking to you in terms of where your hearts are at. You're, I trust, faithful believers who are seeking God. But as you seek God, you become more and more humble before him, more and more chastened, more and more ready to do his good works because he has told you to do them. And so... What I stopped with this thought, this is what crossed my mind this morning before I came to this passage. That God sometimes makes, like Christ did, he made belief in him hard. He did not want to collect these Jews who believed in their standing as Jews. Do not say, we have Abraham as our father. Why don't I just accuse them of thinking something that they were thinking, but they probably didn't have it at the front of their mind, and so he brings it up and he pokes them in the eye with this. They wanted a sign. The Jews seek a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom, and so we run around trying to give them a sign and give them wisdom. We don't understand why they don't believe, or they don't believe, or they, if they believe, they always believe with that caveat, well, if God ever lets me down, I'm not going to believe anymore. Well, the, if you came to Christ, if you knew who he was, if you knew what he did for you, if you believed the gospel, if your knees bent and you called on the name of the Lord to be saved, you're not the kind of person that's holding him at arm's length going, well, I'm just, for right now, it's a, it's a circumstance I'm willing to accept. You seem to have a good argument. And yeah, this group of people seems really nice. You've got a good social program and work with the kids really well. What do you get from Christ? You usually get a riddle. He says, no sign shall be given this generation except the sign of Jonah. What? Remember, 2,000 years of Christianity hadn't followed the sign of Jonah. He hadn't died yet. We're looking back at that going, yeah, it was the death and resurrection of Christ. The sign. And he's telling the Jews, no sign but the sign of Jonah. And they're going, well, I don't know. What do you want to do when you hear it's the sign of Jonah? Do you want to find out? Do you, are your ears looking for a God? When you pick up the scriptures... Do you need to have the scriptures proved to you as canonical and inerrant because it's always telling you about things that you kind of don't want to believe and so you're forcing the real believers to come back with a good argument? Or are you reading and going, this is so of God? 
And you can read the Apocrypha and go, this is so not of God. It's great stories. I like the Apocrypha. I like the Pseudepigrapha. I like all sorts of bizarre things being written in antiquity. But this is from God. If there was no Bible, but all the works were out there in, you know, online search engines you could get at all these claimed old books, with a lot of other old books, would your heart find the things of God? Would you, in your searching for God, if the church hadn't cobbled it all together and bound it up in a nice volume from Cambridge University Press and handed it to you and said, see, the Bible, these are the arguments why you should believe it. Oh, okay. Would you have sought it? Would you have heard his voice in what he said? If Christ had been speaking and no Bible had been present, would you think, he has the Spirit of God. The Roman centurion, surely this was the Son of God. Where Do we need all the arguments? Or is our own need to pursue God bringing us to a point where we will see clearly what God has given? It says in verse 33, they tried to throw him down the hill, but he had to work a miracle. He passed through the midst of them and went away. They decided they're going to throw him down a hill, off a cliff. He says, ah, not my time. And just walks right through the crowd. And they're going, Ooh. No, he wasn't doing ninja stuff. Okay, Didn't beat everybody up. A little later, verse 33, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice, Ah, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel, of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. In verse 21, 41 of the same chapter, And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Does that just seem counterintuitive to anybody? <laughs> I'm not sure it's demons telling people, but I don't know if they're demons and they're recognizing. You would, they knew he was the Christ. He made them shut up because they were saying the truth about him. Do you recognize it as well as a demon? Demons recognize the Lord. What does it say later on in the scriptures? Even the demons believe and shudder. Now they weren't pursuing God. They're running away. They knew they're going to be destroyed by him. Apologetics, just like the law, increases the trespass. It lets a person know that their arguments aren't worth squat. But it's not because that's how we lead people to Christ. People have to be seeking God. You can break down all their defenses. You can open their eyes. You can leave them, you know, bare naked in the, in the snow, basically, trying to figure out what to do. And they can still walk away from it. And most do. Some will have that open their eyes, but it increases the trespass, just like the law does. It makes the violation of what was right to do and right to seek more obviously there. 
You have to realize that Christianity, and Christians think a lot about this because we believe in salvation by grace through faith, it's a free gift, right? Um, Rachel was telling me yesterday she had gone down to a National Guard thing in Lewiston and they just gave her a bunch of free stuff. Uh, blankets and toaster ovens and things like that. The Army toaster oven. Ever hear about free stuff? Yeah, they're hanging out free stuff at Rose Hours. Down you go. I don't care what it is. It's free stuff. Off you go. Free stuff. I, have, I owe this nothing. That's what we think. I owe this nothing. And the Lord is handing out free stuff. So if it's all free, what's the winnowing for? What's the winnowing over? A lot of it is what you think of the free stuff, isn't it? A lot of it is whether or not... What if you see somebody, the Army's giving out a bunch of blankets with the Army logo on them, and somebody goes up and says, okay, here's, you got about 20 of these, I'll take these 20. Everybody gets one, right? It's free, but it's free, I can take them all. Because they're operating for them, what they want. The relationship with the Army, they like to make these free things, and people make little pens for the bank or something. Make you feel good about Umqua. Because you've got an Umqua pen. There's supposed to be a response, how you feel about the person who gave you the free gift. We are here to seek God, humble ourselves before Him, not to earn the free gift, but it has to honor the free gift. God wants to say, okay, what do you think of me? Did you think of me at all? And when that day, and when it was day, he departed and went to a lonely place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. That's a great line. They sought him, they came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. What I wanted to encourage you about is sometimes we get so caught up in whether or not my arguments for the authenticity of the canon of Scripture or the inerrancy of Scripture or whatever it is you're arguing for, the flood or, or the creation or whatever, we get ourselves in a mixed up place forgetting that, you know, there are people for whom these things sound true. And these are people who are the ripe harvest, who are eager, who are looking, at varying stages of looking. And it may be that you can use apologetics to open eyes, but you've got to recognize what, that you're not paying out God's offer. You have to bring yourself to him and say, Lord, please take me. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your Son's mercies. We are very grateful that we have sought him. We'd ask that as we minister, we would find the seeking hearts. Hearts that are knowing that they're finding a God and their knees are getting a little bendy right now. We'd ask that you would help us be an encouragement to that as people who have walked along further into your presence. We'd ask it in your Son's name.
Amen.